Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Hello, everybody. We're rolling live. Just me and you today, just the two of us. So if you want to chat with me, if you throw your comments in the comment feed, and I will uh, do my best to respond to them if I can. So today is going to be a peer support group, me and you. And I hope you share this. This is the type of thing that we're that I used to do when we had face-to-face peer support. I used to do this all the time. And pardon me, I've got to take my Invisaligns out. I'm such an idiot. Just give me a second. All right, that's better. Now I won't have the lisp. <laughs> at least not as much. Um, so at the peer support groups, we would do a lot more than just share. We would share resources and share ideas and share strategies that work. One of the biggest problems with any kind of emotional dysregulation is anger. And sometimes that emotional dysregulation is also sadness, depression. But anger is the one that gets you into the most trouble. That's the one where uh, you might be walking a thin line between society and jail. You have to get a grip on it. Even if you will never physically lash out at somebody, sometimes it's enough just the look, just a harsh look. (laughs) My wife has more than once said, you're looking at me like you hate me. It's like, that's just my face. (laughs) That's just what my face does. Um, But it's a very common malady of those that have a lot of trauma in their background. And that hard look can be enough to wreck a marriage. And if that's resonating with you, you know, I'm, I'm telling the truth. You've probably experienced it. You might be on your second or third marriage already. So what I want to talk about today is right there in the ticker, understanding anger and implementing solutions. This is the type of thing, like I was saying, that uh, we used to cover in peer support all the time. So first, let's understand it from a neurological perspective. It's important to really understand the mechanics of what's going on with your brain. Now, trauma is trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter if trauma happened to you as an infant, as an adult. It doesn't matter if it's combat trauma, sexual trauma, um, the trauma of isolation, the trauma of not being listened to by your parents. It's probably one of the most common ones, I think, of family members that never had a voice as a child. So their parents were of the mind of... Children are meant to be seen and not heard. That's trauma. It is. Uh, because the number one human emotional need is affirmation. And without that sense of affirmation, without that uh, connection to your parents that 
you're good enough, that you're enough, that your voice matters, that your thoughts matter, that you matter, without having that, it can destroy your life. If you're not aware that that's what's going on, that it's not your fault that your parents didn't give you what you needed. It's not your fault. Um, And really, they were doing their best. So forgive them. Don't be bitter. Move on and try to find a way to build your self-esteem. So, but regardless of where that trauma came from, um, the effects quite often ends up fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So how does that look? What the heck is fawn? Well, we'll get there. I like to use the very real example of ambush training. And forgive me if you've heard this before, but uh, the ambush training drills that we do in the infantry create the same response in your brain. It's just reinforced as any trauma response. Only what they do, instead of having access to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, it's just fight. That's it. Because if your reaction to an imminent threat is to run away, that's no good. If your action to an imminent threat is to freeze, you're dead, your friends are dead. So that's why um, we are thinned out in the training so that only the people that have the ability to react with instantaneous massive violence, only those that are able to do that make it through the training. And understandable, I mean, we're talking about combat. But the thing is, the same response happens no matter what the traumatic experience. Just so happens that uh, in the infantry, we do it so much more. We reinforce a trauma response that is great in battle, not great for the rest of your life, not great at the dinner table, not great when your boss is angry with you, not great um, when you have a disagreement with your spouse, not great when your kids aren't doing what they're told then that same response can wreck your life and do serious damage to those around you. <coughs> Pardon me. That cough is the physical manis- manifestation of uh, this being a difficult talk- topic to talk about. Still, after all the work I've done, still tough. Okay, so the neurological uh, programming. In ambush drills... If there's ambush left, now in an ambush, you're going to die. (laughs) Your chances of survival are just about zero. But the only possible chance that you have is to attack who's attacking you with everything that you got and overwhelm them with aggression. That's the only hope that you got is maximum violence. Be wildly more violent than they are. And then maybe, maybe a couple of you will survive through it. Um, but ambush left, everybody swings left, and they dump everything that they have, um, and they charge. They dump all the bullets. They just dump your magazine, brrr, 30 rounds go flying, um, or the machine guns get rock and rolling and burn off half a box of, all towards the um, the bad guy that's trying to kill you. And you run towards them. Run towards the anger. You confront. You confront what's trying to kill you. You charge. You don't run away. You don't take cover. You charge, which is different than a response in other combat scenarios. But in an ambush, you charge and, um, and, and unleash hell in that direction. Immediately, without any hesitation, 
and with maximum aggression. Then maybe you'll live. So we do this again and again and again and again and again, and then it sticks with us. It changes the actual wiring in our brain. So the actual neurological pathways are, if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. Um, And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, not great when your problem is at the grocery store (laughs) or your problem is uh, somebody cuts you off on the road or your problem is your kid won't eat their vegetables. That same programming is going to mess you up, especially if you're not aware of it because most people aren't. They don't realize that they're in battle mode. They have no idea. And they externalize what's going on. They point their fingers and they say, it's you. It's you. Why won't you just act the way I want you to? Why won't you just give me what I need? Why won't you just behave in the way that you should, according to me? When we get to the understanding, and if you don't get to this understanding, it'll never happen. But when you understand that it's actually you that's being the problem, you're the asshole, (laughs) that the world doesn't revolve around you, once you can let go of that narcissism, that everything should go your way, that everything's about you, that somebody that is doing you wrong are doing it because of you, um, because somehow you're deserving of wrongdoing being done to you. Until you get rid of that narcissism, you can't heal. It just can't because you're a professional victim, whether you realize it or not. Now, I've had people say, fuck you, I'm not a victim. <laughs> yeah, okay. You may not be aware of it, but um, that's the deal. If you think that your kid not eating their vegetables is a personal affront to you, if you're taking that personally, you're a victim. If you're not, like you're a narcissist. Now, this is a situational narcissism. It's because of the programming in your brain. It's your brain going that everything is fight or flight, everything is life or death, and it has to be done my way. Because you're on a mission. You're in a combat mission. And you don't know that you're on a combat mission, but that's what your brain is doing. It's how it's functioning. So let's say... um, you're, this is how you're behaving, but you've never been in the military. You've never had combat training. Maybe you're in a horrific car accident, um, and and it was a multi-car collision, and somehow you were able to uh, drag yourself out of the car and drag others out. It was a real emergency. There's fire, there's crash, there's broken glass, and you're the person that um, was pulling the others out of the cars and pulling yourself and, and saving people. Let's say this happened to you. The same thing is happening in your brain, the fight, flight, or freeze. And when these neurological pra- um, pathways keep happening to you, whether it be through training or whether it be through life events, traumatic life events, it sets those neural pathways in stone, and you can't change them. Uh, if a neurologist would like to debate me on this, that's fine. Uh, maybe I'm, I can learn something new. But from what I've learned, from the experts I've spoken to, you cannot change those pathways. They're there. Those are actual wires, neurological neurons that have made these, um, these pathways of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. But what you can do is not take that road. So just because the road is there to, to fight or flight doesn't mean you have to take that road. 
but the road is still there and it's always going to be a temptation. So through various um, ways of practice, mindfulness, which we'll be getting through to in this little talk that we're doing today, um, you can learn that your trigger, instead of it taking you down to the fight or flight path, which is there waiting for you, take it down a different path. Take it down a path to the um, adult ego state. And so we'll be getting into that. So trauma is trauma is trauma. That ambush response that is burned into my brain and the brain of every other infantry soldier that's, that's done it. Uh, if you have a problem, kill it. That same kind of response happens um, or can happen as a result of any kind of trauma. Sexual, uh, parental abandonment, you name it. Okay, so transactional analysis. I encourage everybody to Google transactional analysis or YouTube it. And there's these whiteboard presentations that are fantastic. And they explain what's happening with um, transactional analysis. What it is, it's the communication clashing that happens between a child and a parent. But the thing is, you can be an adult and be in your child-adult state. You can see anybody as a parent. Um, Love them or hate them, Jordan Peterson, Jordan B. Peterson comes across as a critical parent. Now, that's he's actually coming across in his adult ego state, but he's perceived as coming across as as a critical parent, which I think is why he clashes and is as controversial as he is. So people that are on the other side of that, they can either be the adaptive child and they just go, oh, okay, and I'll learn, or they can be the rebellious child. And they go, no. <laughs> Pardon me. And they fight against um, what's happening and they rebel against that information. And, and what is happening on a deeper level is that they're seeing him as a critical parent. When in fact, he's just being an adult. Um, but it, it's the perception of the person that's giving you that information. Okay, so the parent Ego's, ego state is one that is guiding the other or criticizing. There's the critical parent, uh, there's the nurturing parent. So there's the nurturing parent going, hey, good for you. I really, you know, great job. Or the critical parent that's like, what the hell's wrong with you? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Now, when you're receiving that, if, if you are in a childlike ego state, and it's like the boss and the employee. And the boss is saying the same thing to you. As an employee, you can either go, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and you can just agree and be compliant. Or you can go, screw you. That is bullshit. That's the um, uh, that's not being an adapted child. That's Now you have a, crossed, a cross connection because it, it's not working. It's creating conflict. So get on YouTube and and look at transactional analysis. Go through this far better than than what I can and understand that when you're getting that FU response, it could be because uh, you're perceiving somebody as a parental, as a critical parent, and you're responding in an adult ego state. So the solution to that well, first, it's awareness that that's what you're doing. But uh, next, it is being able to slide into the adult ego state, which is really just a lack of ego, period. I would say the adult ego state is a state of no ego. It's just a state of the facts, of 
no tone, no big emotion, not being a robot, just not being emotionally engaged with the outcome of a conversation and being able to look at the facts in an unbiased way without taking it personally. That's the adult ego state. And the more we can slide back into that adult ego state, when you're in that state, you don't have arguments. You don't get frustrated. You don't get annoyed with people because you're just an observer. You're just an observer looking at the situation going, that's interesting. That's the adult ego state. So if you are annoyed, upset, critical, defensive, you're not in the adult ego state. And when you're not there, you don't have full access to your frontal cortex. You actually lose the physical ability to think. It's not that you're dumb. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that your amygdala cuts off your access to the frontal cortex, to your higher thought. You can't use it. When emotion is high, rationale is low. When emotion is high, rationale is low. So if you can't keep your emotions in check, you can't think. If you are deeply offended and you're talking, you're not talking intelligently. If you are really upset and you're talking, you're not talking intelligently. Because you can't. It's physically impossible. I can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody can do it. And it's a function, it's a neurological function of the brain. So for you to truly think, you have to be in a calm and centered place. So what are some solutions to all this? Because anger in our life, um, conflict, not good. Not good at all. So what do we do about it? First is self-awareness. Being aware of transactional analysis. Being aware that you might be... um, Thinking with a trauma brain, which isn't necessarily thinking at all. It's reacting instead of responding. So that self-awareness that is happening, that you are on a life or death mission, even at the dinner table with your children when you want them to eat their vegetables, change the mission. I've talked about this before. I've had a lot of feedback about this, and people say it's changed their lives. So maybe it'll help you too. So if the mission is, and you become aware that the mission is life or death, change it to harmony. That's what I've done, and it works. And yeah, the cheese slips off the cracker once in a while, and I slide back into fight or flight. Uh, But I catch it only after a lot of work. But I catch it, go, whoa, I'm off mission. My real mission, my true mission is harmony. Get along with my kids. Still be a parent and tell them what's what. And, you know, I'm not going to tolerate any disrespect. I mean, I'm still a firm parent, but I'm not cruel and I'm not dismissive. I listen to my children. And what's more important? What hill do you want to die on? So I listen to the kids and I make sure that the mission is harmony. The mission is having a good relationship with my kids. The mission is don't screw up their childhood if I can at all avoid it. So change the mission from fight or flight by being aware that that's the mission that you're on. Switch it to harmony, to peacefulness, to having a good time, to enjoying yourself. If you're getting angry at your family, you are off mission. Stop it, sort yourself out, and bring yourself back to a place of harmony. How do you do this? One of the ways is visualization and meditation and visualization. So in a quiet space, when you are by yourself, it's quiet, close your eyes and replay a situation in your head. Play out a situation in your head where you'd normally shit the bed 
where you would normally be angry or frustrated. See yourself in this situation and see yourself handling it without ego, without anger. See yourself handling the same situation where you would normally be a dick and instead being quiet and thoughtful and truly listening and observing to what's going on around you and responding thoughtfully instead of reacting angrily. And you see yourself with this ideal outcome in the situation. And you keep playing that situation out until it is the way you know it should have been. And you practice it through the visualization again and again and again. And you do this at least 10 minutes a day every damn day until the neural pathways, you're so used to taking these neural pathways in visualization that when the real situation pops up, those are the neural pathways that you choose. The other road is always available to you. The road to destruction is always available to you. But when you practice this, the road to harmony will be right there. You'll be able to recognize it for a change and actually have the tools to take that road to harmony. There was a famous story of an American POW in Vietnam in a tiny little cage for years and years and years, a little bamboo cage, four feet by four feet. Couldn't even sit down uh, or lay down fully. Um, And he's there for years to survive it. He imagined 18 holes of golf every day, probably several times a day. He's got nothing else to do. So he would close his eyes and he'd visualize himself playing just the perfect golf game. And that was his escape for years and years, like eight years. Eventually, he's rescued. He's all crippled up. Um, His muscles are atrophied. But when he was able to uh, physically recover enough, he went to the golf course. And he shot the best game of his life. Shot a fantastic score after not touching a golf club for eight years. That's the power of visualization. Because he was doing it in his mind, when he was able to physically try it, it worked and worked better than ever because of all those hours and hours and hours and hours of practice that he had just in his mind with visualization. Top-level athletes use this. Um, It's recommended by many therapists and psychologists. So this is what I'm recommending to you. Do the visualization and imagine the ideal outcome with road rage incidents, with uh, family incidents. Uh, I would always screw it up uh, for anything outdoors and that required setup of a tent or a campsite. It would really feel like an army mission then. I wasn't conscious that that's what was going on, but of course that is what was going on. So it took a while to fix that. But visualization practices of the ideal outcomes of doing it right, of not being angry at anything or anybody, because... What angers you controls you. Pause for a moment. Do you really want to give up control of your life? Do you want to be a puppet on a string? If others are angering you, others are controlling you. What angers you controls you. Don't be a puppet on a string. Don't let others control you. You control you. You control yourself or others will. Cut those strings. Those anger is those strings. Anger are the strings of the puppeteer. Cut those strings. Maintain your adult ego state. Learn what it means to do that. Have a mission of harmony. 
one of the ways in conversations, if you are the type that um, really has trouble having contradictory conversations with people, it's look up Graham's hierarchy of disagreements. In Graham's hierarchy of disagreements, um, before you even have the conversation, if you're going to have a tough conversation about religion or politics, they say, never talk about religion or politics. I say, wrong. I say, get more skills so that you can talk about religion or politics. Have the skills so that you can have those tough conversations of religion and politics. But be mature enough, be, be able to be in your adult ego state enough to have those conversations. Have them properly. Because if you don't have them properly, then yeah, you shouldn't be talking about religion and politics. It's a skill. If you don't have the skills to do it, don't do it. But get the skills so that you can do it with others that also have the skills. So when you look up uh, Graham's hierarchy of disagreement, also known as Graham's hierarchy of arguments, you're going to see a pyramid with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven slices. If you can stay in the top four, so the top uh, half of the pyramid, you'll be fine. If you can stay in the top half of the uh, pyramid, you can have a reasonable conversation about just about anything. Because you're going to be close to or in your adult ego state. You'll be responding far more than you are reacting. So let's look at how to do it wrong first. Right at the bottom of the pyramid is name-calling. So name-calling... People don't always even realize that they're doing it. But if you're using a pejorative label on somebody, you're name-calling. Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Oh, what'd you just do? You just said, you people. <laughs> you're name-calling. You're being a bigot. So make sure that you're not putting a, a pejorative label of any type on somebody, that you're not grouping somebody into a category. Um or insulting their intelligence, calling them uh, quote-unquote idiot. I almost used the R word there, which I detest, but don't insult somebody's intelligence. Now, ad hominem is talking about the character of the person or the credentials, which is really close to name-calling. Well, how the heck would you know? What school did you go to? What's your education? That's ad hominem. You're attacking the person's ability to have intelligence or to understand information. You're suggesting that uh, they are not credible to have this information. Ad hominem is a terrible but incredibly common uh, tactic when arguing with, with people. That's why I don't like debates. I don't like arguing. I like a good conversation. So ad hominem... What kind of uh, education do you have about that? You know, um, Who do you think you are? Do you think you're smarter than my source of information? Oh, I have two degrees and you have no degrees. None of that matters. It, none of it ha has any relevance to the central point of the argument at all. It doesn't make you right. Might does not make right. Um, a little bit higher than that is responding to the person's tone. This is also difficult not to do. Oh, I'm going to have to pause it. Hang on just a second here. Well, that's what I get for not putting my sign out that there's a recording in progress and not to hit the doorbell. <laughs> Silly me. All right, so we were talking about Graham's hierarchy of needs. 
Oh, there we go. We were talking about Graham's hierarchy of arguments or Graham's hierarchy of disagreement. So it is really easy to respond to tone. You know, when somebody's being a total dick and they're using that tone that they use, uh, speaking to you in a way that is condescending or emasculating or arrogant, which is really, really difficult to listen to. <laughs> there's a there's one politician in particular that has a uh, habit, a famous politician in Canada that uh, every time is speaking in a tone which is very very difficult to listen to because it's so uh, demoralizing or they're talking down to you so much so if you're responding to that tone and i'm not saying it's uh easy to resist that because i want to respond to the tone um how do you respond to the tone you can ask somebody to correct their tone but how do you ask it do you ask it with anger no yeah you just say hang on, let's just pause just a moment. Um, you may not be aware, and it's probably not your intention, but you have a real condescending tone. Uh, it's difficult to hear you and to really listen to you while you're using a condescending tone. So I'm going to ask you to tr- please adjust that tone so that um, it's more respectful. Is that a fair thing to ask? And if they can't, and if you can't accept the tone, then you end the conversation. Like, wh- why keep going? Because you'll just be boiling, and at some point uh, you'll start getting angry, and you'll respond with tone, and then you'll be in a negative spiral. It'll be a downhill slide from there. So if you feel yourself getting upset, and you pause the conversation, and you can't correct it, end the conversation. Why keep going down that road? Hopefully they do change their tone, or if you're asked to do it, hopefully you're able to realize, oh my gosh, I was using a tone, and try to adjust hopefully you can do that okay so at the bottom of the pyramid name calling ad hominem which is basically attacking character and ability and responding to a person's tone if you're in that bottom three of graham's hierarchy of of disagreement it's not going to be productive you cannot talk religion or politics if you're in that uh, you in that bottom part of that of that pyramid it won't work it's going to be a fight it's going to be an argument not good now a little bit higher up is contradiction so contradict and then back it up if somebody said let's say it's about climate change and they say well climate change is a real problem in british columbia because of the wildfires if you're like well actually um, it's not because of that it's because of this and here's my evidence to to back it up then that's higher up on on the um, on the pyramid. You're having a more mature, adult, less emotionally engaged conversation. Above that is, uh, and actually, I might have went one too far, which is counter argument. So I think I think I might have just described counter argument. Um, a counter argument contradicts and then backs it up with reasoning and supporting evidence. So. Contradiction is just, no, it's not, it's this, without any evidence. Counter-argument is, no, it's not, it's this, and here's the evidence. So I had it a little bit wrong. Then just about at the top of, like second from the top, is refutation. So it's it's like counter-argument, but better. It finds the mistake in the person's argument, and then you explain why the argument is on a false premise, and 
give the solution. And at, right at the very top, and I still struggle with understanding this fully, but it's refuting the central point. With the, it, so explicitly refuting the central point uh, that is in question. That's at the top of the pyramid. But if you're in the top three there, counter-argument, refutation, or uh, being at the top, which is staying with the central point, if you're anywhere in that region, you're going to have a good conversation. You might learn something new. The other part of arguments that, um, and really it's over all of this, is ego in general needing to be right. If you need to be right, you need somebody else to be wrong. And why do you need to be right? Why do you get upset if somebody doesn't agree with you? Because you don't feel that you are being heard if somebody isn't agreeing with you. So there's a way around it. As the listener, if you see somebody getting frustrated, make sure that you understand, that they understand that you've heard them, truly heard, and that you respect their opinion. So if you scoff at somebody, well, that's not good. <laughs> that's good. Who likes being scoffed at? If you scoff at somebody or dismiss what they're saying in any way, that's not being in the top end of the pyramid. So don't dismiss it. Be respectful. Listening to somebody doesn't mean agreeing with them. And this is the maturity piece in general, more beyond ego states. If you don't have the ability to truly respect somebody's opinion without necessarily agreeing with it, that's a maturity issue. That's a self-confidence issue. That's So if you need to be right and you can't even listen to somebody's side without uh, uh, fighting them, that's your own insecurities. Needing to be right, needing somebody else to be wrong, means that you're not comfortable with change. You can't grow. If you are only listening to your own opinion, you'll never learn anything new. Only by truly listening to others can you evaluate your stance and evaluate whether or not, hmm, maybe the strongly held belief I've had all these years was on a false premise. Maybe I'm wrong. That could be the case. But you'll never know if you can't listen to somebody else. If you can't have the maturity level to disagree without being angry at somebody. To disagree without disrespecting. That's what I'm groping for. So when you learn to disagree without disrespecting, when you can respect somebody's opinion without agreeing with it, now you are acting like an adult. You are truly in your adult ego state. You are being a you're being an observer and you're being a listener and you're trying to grow and you're looking for the truth as opposed to looking for a way to make yourself right. That's another dividing line. Are you looking for the truth or are you looking for a way to be right? Anyway, I hope all of that is helpful and I'm going to wrap it up with compassion. You could put all this in a bundle and the thing to remember is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. If somebody is throwing garbage on the ground and throwing a tantrum, there's a story behind that. If somebody is incredibly arrogant and likes to scoff at people, there's a story behind that. may not be fun to be around, but there's a reason. If somebody is drunk and homeless there's a reason. If somebody is a drug addict, there's a reason. If somebody is 
just unsufferably arrogant. There's a reason for that. And it's difficult when somebody is displaying behaviors that we don't like or that are a personal affront to us, it's difficult to take a pause and go, I wonder what happened to them. I wonder what their story is. Because in any given moment, if you had more, you'd give more. If you knew better, you would do better. And that's just the truth, folks. It's always been the truth. It'll always be the truth. It's the truth about others, and it's the truth about ourselves. I hope this has been useful. I hope there's a couple of good takeaways. Uh, Please leave comments in the comment section, and let me know what you think, if there's anything useful in what I've said. And these tools that we have used in peer support groups are tools that have changed lives. So hopefully you find some value. And if not, Thank you for joining me anyway. I appreciate your time. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. For veterans, first responders, and really, for anybody. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.